Good morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We have an action-packed episode for you today. I know we always have an action-packed episode, but seriously, this one, this week in the NFL was a really exciting week. Uh, Cooper Allen and I previewed it in our First and Ten series, an article on Week 5. I talked about uh, how the matchups in this week uh, were just top dollar, uh, some of the best uh, that we're going to get all season, at least so far this year, I think, from top to bottom, the best games around the NFL, and Cooper, for the most part, agreed with me. Uh, so let's get right to it. We're going to try and cover as much as possible in the short amount of time that we have. It's shows like today that I wish that we had a, a show more than just once a week. So I, I promise this one is going to be a really great one, so stick around. Our leading story... The Denver Broncos in a shootout in Dallas defeat the Cowboys 51-48. to uh, Just an awesome game, uh, especially if you love offenses or if you love fantasy football. Uh, just one for the ages. Um, if you didn't get to watch this one and you have NFL Network, I would highly recommend uh, watching the NFL replay of this. Um, <laughs> they're going to probably replay the entire game because it was a dandy. The number one quarterback in this game, uh, you could probably argue which one had the better game, but Tony Romo statistically 500 yards passing. It doesn't happen very often uh, in the NFL. It happens a lot less often than you be- than most fans would think. Uh, 506 yards from Romo. He threw for five touchdowns as well, uh, one interception, 25 for 36 overall in the game. Peyton Manning. 33 for 42, 414 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception for himself as well. He also had a rushing touchdown uh, that faked out everybody. The, everybody bought the play-action fake, and Peyton Manning literally just ran to the outside and uh, had the one or one or two-yard gain for the touchdown. Big thing in this one, uh, obviously a lot of points scored, uh, up-and-down game. Dallas came out was uh, they came out and, and led the game to start off 14 nothing. Denver had to claw back and actually were, was ahead at halftime 28 to 20 and got the ball back to start the second half and scored made it 35 to 20 and you kind of thought at that point okay uh, Denver's going to pull ahead kind of like they did against Philadelphia last week that one was a close one at halftime and. And then uh, in the third quarter, the Broncos just went off. Well, same thing happened in a way. That, I mean, Denver kept scoring points, but so did Dallas. And Dallas, uh, at a record pace, basically, scoring uh, 13 points in the third quarter, then 15 in the fourth quarter, got a two-point conversion, uh, took a touchdown lead, actually, in this game. And this game was tied 48-48 with uh, less than three minutes to go, Dallas getting the ball back. And Tony Romo throws his first interception of the game. Really the only mistake that he made the whole day. He threw an interception to Danny Trevanton from Denver. Intercepted it at the two-minute warning. Broncos already in field goal range. Already in field goal range. Just ran out the clock. Kicked the game winner. Won the game. Now, I think a lot of people on Monday and a lot of people... Um, well, even after the game on Sunday, and really all all this coming week, are going to talk about how how t- Tony Romo blew this game. Tony Romo, this Tony Romo, that. Yeah, he had a fantastic game, but he blew it at the end. If you want to hear about that, go listen to a different show. I give Tony Romo all the props in the world for keeping Dallas in this game. Denver was moving the ball all over this defense. They've moved it all over every defense in the National Football League in the first five games of this season. They raised their point average, which was at uh, like 42 or 43 points per game. Actually, it might have been a little bit higher than that, 44 points. With the 51 points against 
Dallas, their average points per game is now up to 46. Peyton Manning has thrown 20 touchdowns this season, ran for another, and has thrown one interception, which Dallas got in this game. Denver sacked Tony Romo four times. No sacks for for Dallas and their defense on Peyton Manning. Virtually no running game again from Dallas. 12 carries, 43 yards for DeMarco Murray. Only um, 52 yards rushing as a team for the Cowboys. This game was in the hands of Tony Romo. And when you put that much pressure on one guy, mistakes get made. He had a fantastic game. 500 yards, 5 touchdowns, a career day. That should be good enough to win the game. I don't blame Tony Romo for blowing this one. Uh, was the interception a bad interception? Yes, it really was. The The receiver that Romo was throwing to was not open at all. He wasn't open at any point. The The defender, uh, Trevonthan, was was all over it. Um, was That pass was not going to be completed. Um, I, the whole se- last series for Dallas, the last two plays, they got the ball with less than three minutes left. Um, and on the fir- on first and ten, Romo gets sacked for the f- a fourth time in the game. So you're in second and long. You're kind of in a you're. Well, they were in a no hurry. Um, they were yes, they were in a hurry up situation. Um, and they wanted to get one more playoff before the two-minute warning. Actually, they had to get one more playoff before the two-minute warning because it would have been a delay a game otherwise. So Romo, um, kind of in a rush, uh, again gets flushed to his right and throws that pass, and it was not a good decision. Just not um, the worst decision that really could have been made probably on that play. And uh, Broncos, easy pickings, already in field goal range. Game over, man. Uh, Matt Prater is not going to miss that kick. But a very valiant effort from the Cowboys. Uh, It's funny to say this because they lost this game. But can we say that we um, we, we learned more about the Cowboys today than any other game so far this year? And, And... not only did we learn a lot about them, I, I'm a believer in the Cowboys this season. Is it partially because they're in the NFC East, the weakest division in football? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't believe in the Redskins. I don't believe in the Eagles. And, and the Giants are 0-5. So somebody's got to step up and, and win that division. Dallas, this is a non-conference game. The loss really doesn't matter all that much. They've lost two out-of-conference games. That's not going to count towards any kind of tiebreaker in a wild card or a division type series, in a division type tiebreaker. And they proved a lot in this game. I really believe Tony Romo proved a lot um, by maintaining it. They need to get a little bit more of a pass rush. It's hard against Peyton Manning because he gets rid of the ball so quickly, but they do need more of a pass rush. They need the guys like Demarcus Ware, Anthony Spencer. They need those guys to step up and get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Speaking of pressure on opposing quarterbacks and defenses that need to step up, Denver is now very quickly showing lots of weaknesses, I think, on their defense. We were very quick to deem Denver's defense back and and better than ever, better than last year on that Thursday night game with Baltimore, week one. They stopped Baltimore. They stopped the Super Bowl champs. They held them to, what, 17 points or something like that. I guess uh, Baltimore scored a, another time or t- another touchdown or two in garbage time. But for the most part, I mean, Denver's defense really clamped down in the second half of that game and put pressure on Flacco and did very well. Well, since then, maybe because they haven't needed to, but Denver's defense has really not played that well. And they've really... Been, I think they've really missed Champ Bailey and Von Miller. Now, Von Miller is suspended. He'll be coming back uh, in the next couple of games. Champ Bailey still injured. Uh, it seemed like he was week-to-week kind of thing, was going to perhaps be back for week one. Now, all of a sudden, he's missed the first five games. And luckily for the Broncos, it hasn't made a difference for either of those um, absences. But in order to make a deep Super Bowl run, and I think... Uh, in order to win the Super Bowl, 
The Broncos need those players back, and they need their defense playing at a much higher level than they are right now. Giving up 48 points, even to a good Dallas offense, is unacceptable. It really is. And if you didn't watch this game, I think the easiest thing to say would just be, well, Dallas, or excuse me, or Denver is not getting a pass rush. And that would be why they're not getting um, as many interceptions or turnovers or uh, quarterbacks are picking them apart because they're not getting pressure on the quarterback, not making him uncomfortable and knocking him around. Well, they got to Romo in this game. Four sacks, like I mentioned before, uh, a bunch of hurries and and takedowns. Uh, could have had m- many more sacks, but uh, Tony Romo so elusive in the pocket, pulling his best friend Tarkenton impression. I mean, <laughs> Tony Romo might be just as good as Fran Tarkenton at scrambling around. He is one of the best in the NFL today, at least. Um, so that, to me, not really a problem. Four, four sacks in a game is pretty good. Uh, so they, they, they got to look at uh, look at their problems elsewhere uh, in other spots. And for the Broncos, they would really like to clean that up before uh, they have some more tough games coming up. They got to take a trip to Indianapolis, and then in a couple more weeks after the bye, they play Kansas City, San Diego at New not at New England and Kansas City again. Those are games against much tougher opponents than they're playing right now. They've basically been playing an NFC East schedule mixed in with Oakland in the first game against Baltimore. They got to clean up some of those things, uh, but I, I, despite being a little bit negative on them, they won this game in an ugly fashion. I think it was ugly. I mean, a lot of people might say it was uh, a display of offensive prowess, but. I thought it was a little bit of an ugly um, ugly performance, at least by their defense, but they got the win 5-0, and and they maintained pace with the Kansas City Chiefs. Or you could say maybe the Kansas City Chiefs maintained pace with the Denver Broncos, whoever's setting the pace, I guess. Kansas City did win first on Sunday. So let's switch gears now to uh, the Sunday night game. We normally start with that action on Sunday night, but... This one, pretty much a stinker. Uh, the 49ers route the Texans 34-3. to uh, Four turnovers by the Texans. Uh, 49ers finally got on track on defense. Still giving up a lot of rushing yards, but they got on track stopping the other team um, in, in, in scoring. Only gave up three points and established a running game with Frank Gore and others. And uh, San Francisco uh, dominated this game. Let's start with the four turnovers from the Texans. Now, Matt Schaub, after a poor poor performance at home against Seattle last week, very first play of the game, pick six, not the way that Houston wanted to start. Actually, it might not have been the first game, first play of the game, but it was the first pass, to, pass attempt for Schaub. He was 19 of 35 for 173 yards and threw three interceptions, was sacked once. Just another very frustrating day for Matt Schaub and it's going to lead to a lot of questions in Houston not sure if they're really warranted but not uh, at all uh, not at all surprising I guess you could say with the way Schaub has played and this the four takeaways on defense for the 49ers comes in a game where there was no Patrick Willis or Alden Smith on the field that's got to excite the 49ers and their fans, that they're missing two of their biggest playmakers and they were still able to get four turnovers against a pretty good, uh, pretty efficient Houston offense. At least they were efficient last season, maybe not so much this year. On offense, though, San Francisco's still struggling a little bit. Colin Kaepernick was 6 of 15 through the air, 113 yards passing, and a touchdown. He only ran for one carry, uh, and it was 14 yards long. I was surprised because uh, with the way he was struggling, throwing the ball, I just thought he would drop back and find holes in the defense to run it to run through. And that really was not the case. He did it one time and gained 14 yards. And actually, when I saw that play, I was like, all right, all right, uh, Kaepernick is going to start establishing his running prowess again. And to no avail. He... he 
really, it won't, he didn't have another carry the rest of the game, which to me is extremely surprising. Um, but he definitely needs to start getting his weapons back. I mean, the 49ers would love to get his weapons back to him. Um, but we'll, I think he will have to wait a little bit longer to get Mario Manningham and Michael Crabtree back. That is, if they come back at all this season. But the 49ers really miss those guys. Kaepernick been hot and cold with uh, Anquan Bolden. Vernon Davis has been a solid receiver. He caught another touchdown on Sunday night, uh, and he caught a total of three catches for 88 yards. Again, Kaepernick only completed six six balls, so three of them going to Vernon Davis. Uh, that was a pretty good day for him, uh, getting a touchdown as well. Anquan Bolden, one of his cold games, two catches, 21 yards. He's got to be a really frustrating fantasy player for those who have him on their rosters. Uh, the other thing I want to touch upon for the 49ers, Frank Gore. Has been is being uh, spelled a lot more than he has been in the past, and I mean there's been mixed results with it. I think overall his his uh, rushing average is going to go up, and he is uh, perhaps going to be more effective while he's in there. But in terms of being productive, uh, his production may go down in the next few weeks. 17 carries for him in this game, 81 yards. That's an average of 4.8, and he had a touchdown. Like I said, I, I do think that he will continue to get a um, good n- uh, number of running yard, rushing yards, and um, and he will continue to get scores. But my question is, how many touches is he going to get going forward? They have a lot of young guys that they're grooming to bring up, and let's be honest, it's the 49ers' best uh, it's in their best interest to keep their star running back, Frank Gore, healthy for the playoff run. So there's really no need to push him if he is at all feeling um, you know, less than 100%. On the flip side with the Houston Texans, Arian Foster played very well, 98 yards rushing. As a team, the Texans got 131 yards rushing, which again is much higher than the 49ers would like. I, would believe, I, I, I believe that it's a lot more than what they would like to give up. Uh, they were towards the top of the league in rushing yards allowed last season. Uh, it's just so effective when a defense can shut down a running game and force the other team to be one-dimensional. We've talked about that so many times on the show now. Uh, teams that are one-dimensional do not win in the NFL. You do have to have some kind of balance. And I think during the game on Sunday night, Chris Col- uh, Collinsworth was trying to say that the the Texans, when they don't get their running game going and they can't get a play-action pass uh, game going, then they are a very average or below-average team, which I think is very true. That's a great point. When teams take away Arian Foster and take away that that team's ability to do the play-action pass, then they can't pass the ball at all. And we've seen that on a couple occasions. And if they can't do that bread and butter play, then they're not even going to be um, competing out there on the field. We've, we've seen that with New England uh, last season. We saw that uh, with Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. Chris Collinsworth uh, and Al Michaels did that game. So we've seen that with the Texans. But to I, I hate to poke a hole in Collinsworth's point, but again, the Texans got a running game going. They had 131 yards on the ground. They were averaging over four yards a carry as a team. To me, they just the Matt Schaub struggled. And if you look at Schaub's numbers, 19 of 35, 173 yards, and the three interceptions. So that, to me, is what really lost the game for the Texans. Uh, not to say that there weren't other moments or other players um, that could have helped Houston's cause. Obviously, the, de- the defense did give up 31 points, but uh, you f- you got to figure the Houston defense, uh, if you told them that they, you would allow just 113 yards passing, then you would probably be pretty happy and, and keep Frank Gore under 100 yards. You would think that you would put your team in a pretty good position to win, but the 49ers uh, are... Uh, mixing it up in the running game. And as a result, I think Frank Gore, again, will be healthier towards the end of the season, fresher, 
and uh, a more effective running game overall going through the rest of the season, and Colin Kaepernick uh, have less pressure on that guy to throw the ball to uh, a depleted receiving core when uh, they can run the ball very effectively, which is what they were able to do on uh, on Sunday night. And it's even more effective when you're scoring on defense, getting turnovers, making short fields, and, and things like that. A very effective 49er game. The last two games now, they've really gotten back to their mantra, play defense, get turnovers, and run the ball. I know Colin Kaepernick's struggling, at least statistically a little bit in the last couple of games. Really, ever since, since the end of week one, where he had a great game, since week two, he struggled. But... Overall, I, I like the improvement that the 49ers have made every single week as a team, and they're going to get better on defense as it goes. They're not quite up to par where they were the last couple of seasons, missing some guys, but they will get back to where they were by the end of the year. All right, we have lots more to cover on the show, but we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with some more game recaps from Sunday. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We have two more games to recap here in the second segment. We're going to go to Green Bay, where Detroit came into town, had not won at Lambeau Field since 1990, have not won in the state of Wisconsin since 1990, uh, haven't lost all 23 of those, or excuse me, 22 of those uh, games in a row. Not all of them were at Lambeau. But uh, all of them in the state of Wisconsin, I guess three three years uh, Green Bay was playing in Milwaukee. I don't know what three years that was. Um, maybe uh, one of our, uh, don't mean to use the word old, but older listeners uh, can, can fill us in on that. I started watching football in 1997, so a little, little uh, prior to my time, I guess you could say. Uh, but Detroit already saw one streak end where they defeated the Redskins in Washington, the first time ever that has happened earlier this season, trying to knock off the Packers at Lambeau. Well, it was not to be. Green Bay ultimately won this game 22-9 to from a final score. Green Bay really controlled the entire game from the start. And the big storyline here, no Calvin Johnson for Detroit and really no effective offense. Um, put together a couple drives uh, but ultimately only had two scoring drives. One was a field goal at the end of the first half to make it 6-3 to three at halftime. Uh, but at the end, towards the end of the fourth quarter, with two minutes left, was the first uh, touchdown that they scored and uh, weren't able to convert on the two-point conversion either. So Detroit actually had more first downs in this game. Uh, Green Bay somewhat struggled at times as well, but ended up with 449 total yards, 269 passing yards. Uh, I guess just the fact that there was 6-3 at halftime, uh, Aaron Rodgers struggled a little bit, just didn't have fantastic numbers, only threw for one touchdown, but this is what you want for Green Bay, really, if you're a Packers fan, I'd be happy with this kind of win. You won with your defense that kept a pretty potent Detroit Lions offense off the field, off the scoreboard. I know they didn't have Calvin Johnson, and that was a huge deal. But they held Reggie Bush to 44 yards rushing, made uh, and forced Detroit to abandon the run. And there was no way that this receiving core without Calvin Johnson was going to beat Green Bay and be able to keep up with the amount of points that they scored. Even though Detroit, their defense played relatively well as well, holding Rodgers to a limited number of yards at 274, only through one touchdown, the deep pass to uh, James Jones. But uh, you, you just thought that if if Green Bay was able to shut down that running game, it's kind of you know, the same thing over and over again each game. Shut down the running game and make the other team one-dimensional. Detroit... The most catches that any player for the Lions had in this game was four. Three players got four catches, but that was Brandon Pennegrew, Tony Scheffler, 
and Joaquin Bell. So no receiver was able to step in in the absence of Calvin Johnson and play well. For Green Bay, spreading the ball around, uh, five catches for Jordy Nelson, four for James Jones. He had the touchdown. He had the most yards for 127. Randall Cobb had four catches early on, so he kind of disappeared at the end, had 35 yards receiving. But he had a big day rushing the ball, actually. He had two carries for 72 yards, had a long of 67. That's the longest run for Green Bay this season. And Eddie Lacy, 23 carries, 99 yards, but good average of 4.3. This is the kind of game that you want out of Eddie Lacy and uh, out of Green Bay. Didn't put up 35 points. Didn't have five throwing touchdowns like Dallas did. Didn't have 500, 400, or even 300 yards passing. But a really solid overall day for, for the Green Bay Packers as a team. You don't need to throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns. Obviously, as Tony Romo proved, you could do that and still lose. And the point is to win games in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers may not have had as good of stats, but Green Bay overall uh, as a team, great defense, uh, good rushing attack, uh, and were able to control the clock and just had a good overall day for the Packers at home to extend that winning streak over the Lions. Now, well, let's discuss the NFC North just briefly before we switch to our next game. The standings now with Chicago losing to New Orleans and Detroit losing this day, this game to Green Bay, Minnesota on the bye. Everybody has now fallen to 3-2 and two or worse in the NFC North. Detroit, Chicago at 3-2, and two, Green Bay 2-2, two and two, Minnesota still at 1-3. It was, it was, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I just think it's interesting to start off the year. I know a lot of people probably weren't believers in Detroit, but to start off the year the way that they looked against Minnesota and then uh, beat, beat Chicago, and they've, they've had some good wins. Now now they've had a, a, a probably a, a kind of a bad loss at Green Bay. Uh, they lost a game at Arizona they should not have lost, to tell you the truth. Uh, so... Not really sure, I guess, what we're going to get out of Detroit. And Chicago's kind of the same thing. Chicago, yeah, they they kind of stole one against Cincinnati. Uh, they, they put up 40 points against Pittsburgh on the road. But then they lose badly to, 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 to Detroit and then can't keep up with New Orleans. Well... Now we're not so sh- now we're not so sure about Chicago and Green Bay in third place at two and two. It looks like it's still going to be the Packers division to win. Uh, obviously, it's going to come down to those division games between Green Bay, Chicago, and and Green Bay and Detroit, and perhaps even Detroit and Chicago. Uh, Detroit has has proven that they're not really able to beat Green Bay, and that puts them at a real big advantage. They did beat Chicago. Uh, but Detroit at this point has to hope that Chicago can knock off Green Bay maybe one, a couple times to knock them down. But Green Bay, if they play like they did on Sunday against Detroit, a complete game, and still have the ability to to have a lot of passing yards and uh, score points, they still have that ability. I'm not saying, you know, don't put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands or don't try and throw the ball and score points. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that for Green Bay Green Bay to be able to win this kind of game where they give up less than 10 points and get it done on the ground just makes them an overall much more balanced team and you can they that they can beat you in more than one way. At the end of the season when uh you know the defense is is hurting uh, in Green Bay, maybe they're playing the Saints in New Orleans where it's warm or inside the Dome. Then Aaron Rodgers can get it done in that kind of game. But then if they host New Orleans in, in January or another team in the cold, they, they've proven so far this year that Eddie Lacy can get it done on the ground along with uh, Jonathan Franklin and uh, that defense can can slow down uh, pretty capable offenses in the NFL. Good signs all around for the Packers. The last game that I want to recap uh, before we take a break, the Eagles and Giants squared off on Sunday. Kind of <laughs> um, the, the, the loser would probably, for the most part, be out of the race in the NFC East. 
Uh, well, I guess not. If the if the Eagles lost, then they probably would still be alive. Uh, but even the Giants, who lost on Sunday uh, by a score of 36 to 21, 15 point deficit, are still alive despite being 0 and 5, not winning a game. First time the Giants are 0 and 5 in a non-strike year since 1979. Basically, what that tells you is they were 0-5 in, in 1987 when there was a strike, which is hard to believe. I mean, I guess they had replacement players playing, but the Giants won the Super Bowl the year before, which I guess I never thought about because uh, I never I realized that the Giants had, had such a bad start to the season after winning the Super Bowl. But what a terrible way to come back and try and defend your trophy with replacement players Ah, that that must have been awful. And then to see your division rival, the Washington Redskins, go back, go out and and win the Super Bowl that year, um, that that had to hurt the Giants fans back in the '80s. Well, this one's probably hurting just as much, if if not more. The fact that they are 0 and 5, losing this game. Eli Manning had three more interceptions. Not all of them were his fault. Uh, the first one, I think, was the one that you can really point to and say that that wasn't his fault. It should have been called. A, there should have been a penalty called. Uh, the the throw and the play was his fault, but um, it should have been a penalty on uh, a guy hitting Eli Manning's helmet with his hands. That you can't do that. That's illegal. So that should have been uh, a flag, and and as a result, no penalty. Uh, no no interception. Um, there were a couple other things in this game uh, for the Eagles. Nick Foles came in and got the job done. Michael Vick goes out with an injury in the second quarter. He's having a good game rushing. He had 79 yards on uh, seven carries, I believe. Had a good day on the ground. That, that was in the first two quarters or first quarter and a half. He had those 79 yards. But Nick Foles comes in off the bench, completely different type of quarterback, Perhaps the Giants weren't really ready for him, ready for a guy to come in and be a pocket passer. Foles, 16 for 25 on the game, 197 passing yards, two touchdowns, both of them in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line. And uh, Foles overall led four scoring drives, again, two of those in the fourth quarter. What Eli did in the fourth quarter, well, he threw three interceptions. Uh, His turnovers leading to 17 points for the Eagles. There's the difference in the game right there. Eli overall, 24 for 52, 334 yards passing. Did have two touchdowns, but again, the three INTs. I think the big question going forward, forget about the Giants. Uh, I, I think that they're pretty much done. I don't really, you know, we, we talk about them every week. I don't really care to continue to beat them into the ground. They're not a good team. Tom Coughlin's got to get this together. We've talked about their running woes. They're still last in rushing, 56.8 yards per game. Uh, without uh, an effective running game, without David Wilson being able to actually run the ball, then the, the, the Giants are going to look like this the whole season. They, they have a somewhat favorable schedule going forward. They are on against Chicago next week. That's actually on Thursday. So realistically, the Giants really could fall to 0-6. Who would have thought if they lose to Chicago on Thursday? And, and Chicago has lost the last couple of games, so they're looking to rebound. It's a home game for Chicago, and it's on a short week. I just don't see the Giants getting it together in three days to go out on the road and win a game. So they're more than likely going to fall to 0-6. And then... Very rare that this happens, but it has before, where a team plays on Thursday night and then the next week plays Monday. So they actually have 11 days off, and and hopefully for the Giants they can get something together uh, and make some corrections because they play the Minnesota Vikings at home, a winnable game. Then they go on the road to play Philadelphia again. This game was very winnable for the for the Giants. So even on the road, they can uh, beat the Eagles and move. I mean, at this point. You're hoping to be two and six going into your bye week in week nine. I mean, no team has started zero and five and made the playoffs. That's never happened before. So I just don't see the point in continuing to rip them apart and and kind of arguing for why they can come back and make the playoffs. It's more than likely about I would say ninety eight percent chance that that's not going to happen for the Eagles moving forward. Who's your quarterback? 
You're two and three. You're tied with the Cowboys for first place. That's pathetic. But who's your quarterback going forward? Is it Nick Foles? He was really effective in this game. He was a good pocket passer. He helped you control the time of possession, which you haven't been able to do so far this season. Or is it Michael Vick still? And you go back to him uh, despite maybe a hamstring issue. If Vick is healthy, it looks like Chip Kelly wants to go with him. But will he be healthy? How healthy will he be? And how, how bad does the injury have to be in order for Nick Foles to play? Those are my questions right now. If I was an Eagles fan, even at 2-3 and three and you're still alive, I would be tempted to see what Nick Foles can do. I think he just played very effectively. I know it was against one of the weaker defenses in the league, but you can't really ignore those numbers and how well he did coming in off the bench and imagine him getting snaps all week and preparing. Uh, it can be a lot better. And I think he is the quarterback of the future for them. And why not make the future now? The overall picture of the NFC East, and I'll hit upon this before we go to break, Dallas, to me, like I said in the first segment, despite losing on Sunday, proved to me that they are the team to be in the NFC East. Kind of by default, I don't like Washington. Eagles have shown promise, but are they actually ready? Probably not. Giants 0-5. Dallas, I think, is the team to be in that NFC East. Uh, but we'll see. It's kind of a week-to-week thing. They play very well against Denver, but they very well could play poorly uh, against another opponent uh, another week. So we'll see going forward if Dallas can maintain that kind of intensity that it had against Denver on Sunday. All right, let's take another break, and then we'll come back with our fourth and long segment. back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're also on Facebook. You can find Football Nation on Facebook. You can also search for my stuff at Dave's Football News. I don't just put my work on that uh, page on Facebook. I also put other work of other authors that I really enjoy So uh, you can check that out on Facebook, uh, another place that you can find me and uh, the work at Football Nation. Let's go into our fourth and long segment. We have four things to cover. Uh, We're going to probably cover them extensively because they're big topics. So here we go. AFC North, my my statement. And in case you're a first-time listener, this is a part of our show where I say a statement. And I'm either going to agree with it meaning I go for it on fourth and long, or I'm going to disagree and punt it away. First statement, Cleveland won on Thursday night, beating the Buffalo Bills. They are 3-2 and two in the thick of things in the AFC North. The Browns are contenders in that division and in the AFC. I'm punting that away. I, I thought about it for a sec, and I, I thought, well, you know, maybe... But then you think about Brian Hoyer is out. He's out for the year. He tore his ACL in that game against the Bills. So you're back to Brandon Whedon. He hasn't been healthy all season, but you're back to him playing. <laughs> and I, I don't like that. Uh, I don't think he is the quarterback of the future. I don't think he can play quarterback effectively. He is kind of a lame duck. I think Cleveland wants to win uh, or, or wants to draft uh, well, everybody wants to win. They want to win, but they, they want to draft a uh, quarterback next season. I think if Brian Hoyer continued to play and was effective, then they might go with him next season if he proved this year to make Cleveland relative and competitive. Then I could see them uh, not drafting a quarterback and staying with Hoyer, but Hoyer is done for the year, I don't see them waiting on Hoyer and having him come back and play next year because you have such a small sample size of Hoyer, and if you get a top pick, you're going to want a quarterback. The, the The Browns really were leaning quarterback. you you got to believe when they trade away Trent Richardson, I think that's still the ultimate plan. 
And unless they make a run at things or, or make it to the playoffs or have a later pick than expected, then I think they're going to go quarterback. They might end up having a later pick than expected. They've already won three games. They've won three games in a row since trading away Trent Richardson. So they're not exactly tanking the season. But with Brandon Whedon, I don't see them competing in the AFC North all season long. The Brown, uh, the the Bengals and Ravens look like they're going to finally get things together. They both had big wins on Sunday. Didn't think either one would win. Uh, I, I thought, quite honestly... We could have a similar situation in the AFC North that we have in the NFC East. Everybody below 500. Uh, and then Cleveland won, and you thought, okay, well, Cleveland could be a 3-2 and, and and could have sole possession of first place, realistically, because you thought Baltimore might lose to Miami and uh, Cincinnati drop one to New England, but not the case. Bengals and Ravens getting both getting big wins and are 3-2. and two. Steelers, of course, on the bye. They're still winless at 0-4. So I I just think Cincinnati and Baltimore, they'll have their tough stretches this year. Uh, You know, they're they're probably going to go around 11-5 at best, more like 10-6 or 9-7. But that's going to be good enough to win the division, I think. And and I I don't think Cleveland can finish much higher than 9-7 with Brandon Whedon at quarterback. I hope they prove me wrong. It'd be nice to see Cleveland in the playoffs for the first time, and I think... Ten years. They they won ten games in 2007, but failed to make the playoffs. So I think it's been since 2002, since the Browns were in it. It'd be nice to see them competing for it, but I just am not sold after five weeks. With Brandon Hoyer, it'd be different. But with Brandon Whedon, no. Sorry. Sorry, Whedon. At 30 years old, no. You're not ready to take Cleveland to the playoffs. Let's go to the AFC West. We talked about the Broncos with uh, their victory against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. But Kansas City also won, stayed undefeated. They're 5-0 as well. They beat the Tennessee Titans 26-17. My statement, the Chiefs will be undefeated longer than the Denver Broncos. And you believe what I'm going to say here. I'm going to agree and go for fourth down. I know. You believe that? I mean... You could argue that Denver's going to go undefeated the way they're scoring points. I don't think the Broncos are going to go undefeated. At some point, they're going to drop a game. And the reason why I'm saying the Chiefs have a better shot of going undefeated longer is because of their schedule. The next three games for Kansas City are all at home against Oakland, Houston, and Cleveland. And all those teams have shown promise and also have been really bad in games. And I just don't see Kansas City dropping one at home. That's a really tough place to play in Arrowhead. I don't see them losing at home to any of those three teams. Denver, on the other hand, they play Jacksonville at home. Might as well be a bye for them. Jeez. And then at Indianapolis, home against Washington. Jacksonville and Washington look to be pretty easy matchups. But at Indianapolis, the Colts are surprising people. They're surprising me. I didn't think they'd be a playoff team, but with the, the, the Texans down, like many people predicted, I did not, but many people predicted that. The Colts are up this season. Um, they're, they're beating teams like they beat San Francisco on the road. They beat Seattle at home this past week. I think they'll have a shot against Denver. There'll be a lot of emotion in that game because Andrew Luck replacing Peyton Manning, it's Peyton Manning's first time going back home and playing in Indianapolis. We'll see how the fans react to that. Uh, It could be a coming out party for Peyton, playing in front of his old home crowd again. Maybe he throws for seven touchdowns, and you know it's a rout. But I do think Indianapolis has a good shot of winning that game. And if they win that game, I think Kansas City will still be undefeated playing Oakland and Houston. So the Chiefs have a legitimate chance to be in sole possession of first place despite maybe being in the division with the best team in the AFC or even in the league. Uh, Kansas City could be in sole possession of first place in a couple of weeks, but we'll see uh, going forward. Staying in the AFC West, last night the Chargers and Raiders played at 11.30. A second game on Sunday night, it was held on uh, or played on NFL Network. And the reason why they had the game so late was because of the baseball game the prior day. 
the Oakland A's hosted the Texas, not Texas, the Detroit Tigers in the American League Division Series. And in order to change the stadium from baseball to football, it's a, it's a very long process, and it had to be done um, in a few, in about 24 hours. Uh, but they needed a little bit extra time, so they moved the four o'clock start, a little four o'clock start on the East Coast. I guess one o'clock on the West Coast to an 8:30 start on the West Coast, 11:30 on the East Coast. My statement: the second Sunday night football game was pretty cool. And I'm going to agree. I liked it. Um, and it's kind of a shame in a way because we're talking about when the game was held and the stadium and, and the baseball playoffs on a football show when we should be talking about Terrell Pryor. Pryor had a great game, 18 for 23 against San Diego, 221 passing yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He did get sacked four times, but he also had you know, a relatively uh, good game running the ball. 11 carries, 31 yards. Not a great average, but he had a couple you know, uh, uh, for loss, so that will really hurt it. Had an 11-yard run. That was his long. And quite frankly, he outperformed Phillip Rivers, even though he, Rivers threw for 411 yards, two touchdowns. He had the three picks that really hurt his team. San Diego turned the ball over four times. Actually, five times with the last interception. Five times. Uh, Danny Woodhead had a fumble that the Raiders over uh, recovered and took back for a score. My point, we should be talking about those numbers and how Oakland is 2-3. and three, But we're stuck really talking about and discussing the stadium. And there was uh, some fallout on FootballNation.com. I'm, well, mostly from Bill Enright. Uh, about how he hates baseball and how it's you know it was its fault for moving this game late at night. Well, first of all, I really liked the game at night. It was it was really cool to have another game to watch, uh, and and basically from one o'clock on Sunday to one o'clock two o'clock in the morning on East Coast, there was football to watch for over twelve hours. There was a football game that you could watch. Now I, what? What was kind of upsetting about yesterday uh, on Sunday was the fact that all of the good games, almost all the good ones, except for Denver and Dallas, were at 1 o'clock. There were so many games at 1 o'clock that I wanted to watch. And there were only two games at 4 because the other 4 o'clock game was moved to 11.30. So it would have been a little nicer to have, you know, a little bit more balance, maybe have one of those other games at 4 to have the option to watch. I guess if you had NF uh, if you had the NFL on at 4 o'clock, it was going to be the Dallas and Denver game and and for good reason. That was a, a dandy, the be- maybe the best game of the season. So but but overall, I I really liked the the night game. Uh, I don't think it was bad at all for the fans uh, because it was a night game for for the Raiders at 8.30. I don't think it was an advantage to either team. Um, Yeah, I mean, the people on the East Coast might have been upset about it because they they have to stay up late to watch the game. But people on the East Coast, the average fan – who doesn't want to stay up till two? He's probably not watching that game at four o'clock anyway. So, so what? Do you, what are you complaining about? I mean, what's the point? Uh, I know Bill Enright was really complaining about it on his show. And Bill, I love your show. I don't know if you actually listen to this podcast weekly, um, but I really disagree with you in the fact that I mean, baseball has a right to, to host their playoff games, and then the two teams share a stadium, so the A's have a right. To play that game whenever you know they decide to, or whenever the TV, uh, you know, TV people decide to, and it wasn't a bad thing for the Raiders to have a night game, and for people on the East Coast to be complaining, oh, no. well, why you? I mean, aren't you somebody that loves football and wants to take in as much football as possible? You now have the option to watch four games in a row. <laughs> I got to watch five games because I DVR the Eagles. And um, Eagles and Giants watched the Packers and Lions, DVR'd the, the, Giants, the Giants game, watched it later, got to watch the Cowboys, got to watch uh, Sunday Night Football, and then the late game. 
so I don't see uh, the the complaint there. Uh, I actually like the two Sunday night games more than the two Monday night games, which they do at the beginning of every season. So I don't know if this is something that I would want them to do every single week, but maybe every once in a while, maybe the first week of the season or something to play another game at night, another primetime game. I'm sure the NFL Network loved it. They got more revenue, more people watching their their stations. So uh, it is something that I think they could consider. Maybe do another Sunday night game instead of the Thursday night game. I think that would be better. That would be interesting. So we'll see if anything materializes from the the change of schedule. Uh, basically, doing it by ac- having to do it because of the baseball game, maybe something will materialize where they do that permanently, or or have it every once in a while at 11:30 on a Sunday. The last thing that I want to go to in this fourth and long segment, we mentioned that uh, the the Patriots lost to the Bengals and that the Saints beat the Bears this week. Next week. The, the Patriots and Saints will be playing each other, so my statement, Tom Brady will outduel Drew Brees in that game next Sunday. Very rarely do we preview a game for next week, but I just thought that this one was a big one so that it was appropriate to do it, and I do want to talk about these two teams, and this was an easy topic to talk about both of them in the same same breath, really. Um, and my answer is no. I'm putting this away. I don't think Tom Brady is going to outduel Drew Brees. Uh, Brees is having a fantastic season. We've mentioned Sean Payton coming back and how much of an effect that's had on the team as a whole. And Drew Brees had a little bit of a down game against the Bears. I mean, the Bears do have a very good defense, but check out this down game. 29 for 35, 288 yards, and two touchdowns. Not bad for a down game. Actually, really good. A lot of quarterbacks would take that uh, every single week, and that's, that's... kind of a, an average day for Drew Brees. Well, Tom Brady, 18 of 38 against the Bengals, 197 yards, one interception, no touchdowns, and his streak of consecutive games with a touchdown came to an end, uh, which Drew Brees, I'm sure, is happy about because he has the current record for that at 54 games. Tom Brady was at 52 so could have tied it, actually, against the Saints, and that would have been a big storyline next week, but that is not to be because the Bengals broke it. Um, I just think that Tom Brady and the Patriots, they they were in some games earlier this year that they probably should have lost. I mean, I mean uh, they got kind of got outplayed by Buffalo week one. They could have easily lost that game. Um, you know, the Falcon game became close. I know that they were up at one point thirty to thirteen, but the Falcons could have easily came back and won that game. Uh, that's a game that the Falcons have come back and won before, but weren't able to do against the Patriots. It's good that they're the New England is winning in more than one way, like kind of like Green Bay did on Sunday, winning with defense, winning with the running game. But when you have an ineffective passing game and an ineffective game from Tom Brady and you don't win, that's when the flags fly in New England. And unfortunately, that's that's when you kind of have to go back to the drawing board and perhaps maybe worry about them a little bit. A team that we haven't talked about very much today, just mentioning them playing the Broncos in a couple of weeks, the Indianapolis Colts, they look like that they are the closest team to Denver right now in the AFC, and that's why I said they have a good chance of beating them at home in two weeks, not New England as the number two team in the AFC. Everybody wanted a deem. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, same thing in the AFC, New England, and uh, Denver, AFC championship. Well, not so fast. Uh, If Tom Brady doesn't get things together with his receivers, if Danny Amendola isn't completely healthy, he played in this game against the Bengals, had four catches, 55 yards, Rob Gronkowski still isn't playing. It seems like every week they say he's going to, and then he doesn't. So until those guys get back and they're healthy and Brady's offense is completely clicking, then I think New England is going to have doubters out there. And when they run into a team like the Bengals, who have a really solid defense, and if Cincinnati can take care of the ball, which they did for the most part, and limit their... their, uh, their mistakes, then Cincinnati, again, like I've said before, is a very capable team in the AFC, 
And uh, if at, at their best, I think they are definitely the favorite in the AFC North. But they're not always at their best. But at their best, they can beat the guys like New England. All right, we're going to take one more break. There's another one from the Smashing Pumpkins, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. And we're back here to wrap up today's show of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, I'd love to have a conversation with you during the week before our next show. Tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Dave's Football News. I'm going to leave you with a story from during the week last week. Uh, Josh Freeman, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, was released by the team. He's already found a new one. Minnesota Vikings signed him late Sunday, saw it on NFL Network while watching the Chargers and Raiders. So there you go. Um, Freeman, actually, I did an article on him. It was a slideshow, five teams that he could possibly land with. I'm very proud to say that Minnesota was on that list, so I was somewhat correct. Not that I said that Minnesota would definitely go for it or or get him, uh, but he was one of the five teams I thought could use him. And um, he, he ended up going to them. So I was very uh, happy to see that. Uh, there was another slideshow, actually the exact same thing, from one of our uh, um, guests from a few weeks ago, I guess several weeks ago now, two weeks ago, uh, with uh, Justin Henry. Uh, he did another uh, a slideshow on, uh, on uh, Josh Freeman as well. I'm not sure if he included the Minnesota Vikings. I, I don't remember... Uh, how, we, we didn't have the exact same team, so I'm not sure if he had the Vikings on his list as well. Uh, but uh, those are two articles that I encourage you to check out. There's other stuff on uh, footballnation.com all the time that is great to check out. Uh, I do think, uh, just real quickly to end on this Josh Freeman point, he got a bad, uh, bad break in Tampa Bay. I know that you know there were a lot of rumors that he just didn't get along with Shiano, the head coach Greg Shiano, and that he just you know needed a change. I just think Shiano did wrong by him. Uh, not saying that Josh Freeman is the next Peyton Manning. Uh, don't not saying that at all. But I, I do think that Freeman has the ability to start in this league, and he should be given that chance by another team. And Minnesota. One and three right now. I mean, Leslie Frazier might be fighting for his job. Who knows? Uh, they've kind of giving up on Christian Pond. I mean, we'll see if he gets back into the action. They gave Matt Castle start, and he won against the Steelers a week ago. Now they have a, they have a chance to give Josh Freeman a chance to start. Uh, we'll see how quickly they want to start him, how quickly he can learn the playbook. Uh, and how much uh, they want to stick with Matt Castle. Maybe it depends on their record. I don't know. Maybe it probably depends on how much or how, how well Matt Castle really does. If the team's winning, I would assume that they're going to stick with him. That deal for Josh Freeman, by the way, is just for one year. He's actually going to make $3 million. How about that? Get released by your team and then sign somewhere else just for a one-year deal. $3 million. Not bad. Not bad at all, Josh. All right, that's all we have for today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We packed in as much stuff as we could in our hour's time. I did forget to bring up before our guest that we wanted to bring on the show today, uh, Sam Jones, the quarterback, uh, the semi-pro quarterback from the Vermont Ice Storm, that if you follow my articles on footballnation.com, him and I had a discussion about concussions and injuries in the NFL. He meant to come on the show today. Our uh, our timing was a little bit off. We didn't get uh, to sit down and discuss it over the phone and record it for the for the show. Uh, but we will do that next week. We will be doing that in the next couple of days, actually. And then uh, I will be posting that during our show next week. So. Don't forget, you can check out that article on footballnation.com. It's, I, I sit down with the semi, ex-semi-pro quarterback, Sam Jones, and we discuss concussions and other injuries in the NFL. And then stay tuned for next week's Monday Morning Huddle, where we discuss 
um, the the same topic with a few new wrinkles here and there and a couple new questions. So it's not exactly the same as the article. But stay tuned for that episode of Monday Morning Huddle next Monday. Until then, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind.